0: Good morning and welcome to episode 894 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com and our Patreon supporters. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindberg of 538. Hey, Ben.
1: Hello. How are you? Doing well, thanks.
0: Good. Uh, let's see. Did you see the... Uh Tyler Holt attempted steal of home.
1: Yeah, someone
0: posted that in the Facebook group. And so he was going to be safe. And so the pitcher, Cody Anderson, just simply threw the ball at the batter, who happened to be the opposing pitcher, hit him. Yeah. And um, negated the run. Yeah. And uh, so uh, th- this is my favorite play ever. <laughs> Um okay. al- although it's somewhat it's I'm not I, I don't know off the top of my head whether there were two outs or not. I'm assuming there were there were. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's brilliant. Uh, probably brilliant. Probably uh, probably preplanned. Right. Because I think that that's too much to think about in the moment. If you're the pitcher, because you have to figure you have to know the outs, you have to know that the pitcher is the one batting and you have to sort of be able to do that math to figure out if an extra base runner is worth saving that run. And that's very easy math to do if you have, you know, say two and a half seconds, but he had like one and three quarter seconds. And so I'm guessing that he knew because Holt bluffed early in the at bat that that's what he would do. Although uh-huh. then it makes you yeah yeah so then you wonder though if he was actually thought that Holt was going to steal which is such an unlikely play it's like yeah overwhelmingly likely that Holt is never going to try to steal straight steal home against right. you uh, and so then if you're if you actually think that he's going to uh, maybe just pitch from the stretch uh, it is the opposing pitcher batting and so maybe now maybe it's breaking down maybe I don't like it but <laughs> I do I do like it I I think that it was uh, a brilliant play. Smart play. But now I'm unwilling to necessarily give him full credit because now I wonder whether he was being impulsive or it was actually an accident.
1: I like anything novel, and this was novel. And Alfredo, <laughs> now we have to pronounce his last name again, as we struggled to do recently. We, we decided we would go with Simone, although he doesn't seem to know or care whether it's Simone or Simon.
0: I think, in fact, I think he actually has asked to be called Simon.
1: Okay, so Simon. Then
0: my guess, though, is I'd bet. He's a million. probably
1: just trying to make it easy on I, Exactly. I would yeah. bet a
0: million dollars that nobody who uh, has known him since childhood calls him Simon. Right.
1: I just I don't, That's a dumb
0: bet. Who would bet? <laughs> Who would bet me?
1: Anyway. Well, he was quite upset to be hit, and he did his utmost to get out of the way, and he just could not. So it was clever, especially if he came up with that on the fly. But even if it's a pre pre planned play that the brewers have just a standing play if someone's gonna steal home and the pitcher's up just put him on
0: well the 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 next level genius of it if you really want to say that cody anderson in this split second was uh, able to, to you know to make six chess moves uh, in his head is that then the next time he came up simone hit him with a pitch uh-huh. as the leadoff batter in, in a close game <laughs> And so he's the pitcher. Anderson is the pitcher and now gets gets put on base for free, uh, yeah. which is really brilliant because then any potential uh, harm of putting Simone Simon on uh, base, uh, which is minimal, is, is like wildly uh, undone by uh, the benefit of Anderson getting on base in a much more offense-friendly situation.
1: Yeah, and he did... Fall down, sort of, as he delivered the pitch And evidently, according to one of the posters in the Facebook group He claimed in his post-game interview that he was just rushing the throw home And slipped, which is plausible Yeah, very plausible He was, uh, he was distracted by the runner trying to steal home And therefore was rushing the delivery And something like that could happen quite easily And the catcher was set up right in the middle of the plate Not that that really... Matters. Not that that would really be an indication of where the ball is going to go if it was intentional. But that seems quite plausible, probably more plausible than this being a preplanned play.
0: Oh, you think so? I don't know. I, I mean, so. to me, I think I would say it's more plausible that he slipped because he was trying to alter his delivery mid-throw. Uh. And Uh that's a, you know, not an easy thing to do. And so he, uh, he sacrificed his mechanics for it and kind of fell over because he was reorienting his body so, so, so steeply. But I mean, it is a perfect pitch for this. Yeah. I mean, he hits him in the belt buckle. Like, it's just, you couldn't aim a better pitch at Alfredo Simone's gut. Yeah. Uh, so, uh,
1: anyway. Well. I'll post it in the usual places. You can be the judge.
0: Yeah, it's great. Anyway, all right. Uh, Rich Hill had a good start, <laughs> uh-huh. um, and uh, doesn't move the needle. It's gonna now that we've really established a, a baseline for Rich Hill. Uh, it's probably not gonna be a lot more movement.
1: No, he needs to have a, a bad start now to change things.
0: Yeah, or he needs to really have a month. Uh huh. Yeah, if he has like a like an incredible month, like a a Kershaw arietta esque month, then we can reevaluate. But. Six and a third and nine strikeouts and three walks and two runs or whatever is just that's just what that's what a three and sixty five pitcher does,
1: yeah, yeah, right.
0: All right. Anything you want to talk about?
1: One bad fun fact that was submitted. We've been receiving a lot of these, and it's become clear to me that the real culprit in these bad fun facts. I used to think that beat writers and bloggers and and TV broadcast researchers were equally culpable when it came to these bad fun facts. But it's become clear, I think, that team media relations employees are the font of bad fun facts and they they flow outward from them to other people who use them in their content. And so 10 episodes ago, we shared the tweet from the Yankees PR department in 2015. Nathan Avaldi became the fourth pitcher to win every start versus the AL Central in a season, seven plus starts. And there was a similarly qualified tweet, this time from the Tigers PR department that Connor Devins shared in the Facebook group. And it says, Michael Fulmer is the third Tigers starting pitcher since 1913 to throw at least seven and two-thirds shutout innings and allow three or fewer hits in one of his first six career starts. (laughs) So... You have, I think, something like seven qualifiers in this tweet. I think (laughs) he is the third to do it since a certain year to throw at least seven and two-thirds shutout innings, three or fewer hits in one of his first six career starts. So that's a lot of layers to this tweet. So congratulations, Michael Fulmer. And he was added in that tweet by the Tigers PR people, so they thought he would want to know, or I guess they want people to follow him. But one way or another, he knows and I wonder what emotion that elicited in Michael Fulmer. <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if they
0: like did the thing where they uh, pretended to give the ball, throw the ball into the stands, and he panicked <laughs> because he wasn't going to get the game ball from this achievement. <laughs> but then it turned out that of course they had protected this wonderful souvenir and put it yeah. in his locker later. Right, good, good one. I am enjoying the horrifying fun facts uh, that we've yeah, been me getting sent. This, this
1: is uh, richer terrain than I. I had realized was out there. (laughs) I agree. Do you have anything to say about Dodgers' rangefinder gate? Yeah, I do. Okay, let's talk about that. Well, that's the the topic. Oh, all right, great. All right, so the
0: Dodgers used a rangefinder um, uh, to help them sort of prepare their positioning before the game. So they went Mm -hmm. out with something like a GPS sort of like, you know, golf. like, Like anybody who's golfed has seen these uh range finders that um back in my day didn't work <laughs> but uh, they might they might work now it's been a long time since i was golfing seriously <laughs> uh-huh. but uh they apparently have uh, have used this to help them uh, uh prepare their positioning before games they've done it uh in various ballparks they uh, ran into a wall with the mets as i understand it who uh who complained to major league baseball which is now investigating it and i'll first just say up front that I think that 85% of the coverage of this Is the fact that the word laser is in it Yeah <laughs> If there was no la- If they were using um, something that was uh, less cool uh, technology If they were using something that was not also a gun in Contra uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that we would be that excited about it But we do like our lasers yes. And so uh, so it's gotten a lot of attention And uh, has gotten uh, Everybody has had to weigh in on it And so uh, first off uh do, do, do you need to explain it better than I have? I don't know. Well,
1: the sequence of events isn't totally clear to me. I'm reading the initial Ken Rosenthal report, and the Dodgers tried to clear this plan with the Mets ground crew that they wanted to use the rangefinder to determine where the outfielders would go and then use some sort of marker to indicate where the outfielder should stand, and wait—is this
0: like a physical marker, like they were going to put I like a little peg so. yes, in, yes. like
1: something a, a T or, or yeah. who knows what, some a strip of tape, or apparently they use paint at their home park, so something, some uh-huh. in, some actual physical indicator. And the Mets ground crew agreed that the Dodgers could leave two marks in center field and one in left, and then
0: hang on, wait, 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 hang on. Does the mark have anything to do with GPS, or is it like, is it a is it a, uh, a. Does it have radio capabilities? Or I don't it, think so. The I don't think it just violates
1: a... the, uh, yeah, the it's just ban a... against electronic devices. It's just, a small, it's
0: just a small geographic milestone for outfielders to refer to.
1: Yes. Okay. And so the Mets ground crew agreed to this, but then told their superiors that the Dodgers informed them that if the markers were removed, Dodgers players would dig holes in the outfield with their cleats. <laughs> and then the Mets instructed the grounds crew to erase or obliterate anything they saw on the playing surface so i don't know it's not clear to me why the dodgers would make that threat i know the, what a threat that is if the mets ground crew agreed to this i don't know why you would antagonize them by saying that you were going to scuff up their field if they changed anything but and
0: he, even if they didn't agree to it i it doesn't seem like something that you can threaten yeah right so i mean if they if they don't agree to it then I think that your option then becomes to do something um, a little bit more clandestine. Like, I mean, if we're just talking about a a little T or a little marker, then just uh, drop another one.
1: Yeah. And so maybe there's more to this exchange than that report suggested. I don't know if there's been more detail in some of the follow-up reports, but the Dodgers evidently have granted permission for other teams to do this in Dodger Stadium, and other teams have granted permission for the Dodgers to do this. And there are actual rules... Preventing this, according to Rosenthal rules 3.09 and 3.10 Prevent clubs from leaving equipment on the playing field Including golf tees and other such markers And evidently paint would qualify as such a marker So you're not allowed to do this But it is evidently a gentleman's agreement of sorts What about it? Lots of teams are doing outfield positioning We did a podcast about that with Chris Mosh last year About how that's become more common And so... This is something that teams allow each other to do is because a, they a, all want to do it.
0: Is a surreptitious pit considered equipment? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So So now th- thank you for that extra context because now we've got a few different things to, to consider. If it's against the rules, then it's against the rules. And it doesn't yeah. matter whether it's a uh, capricious rule or not. If it's against the rules, you have a choice. That is to... Uh, phone your representatives in Congress and try to go through the legislative process uh, in order to change the rules, uh, you don't get to cheat unless you have uh, you know, some official waiver. Otherwise, you are uh, breaking a rule, right? Mm-hmm. Even if the rule doesn't seem to matter much. So so maybe in a very simple way of, uh, of thinking about this, uh, it sounds like it is uh, in violation of a rule. And if the Mets didn't want to uh, waive the rule for them, uh, well, what's the controversy, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, to the question of whether it should be a rule, to the question of whether we should be at all weirded out by uh, the encroachment of lasers into our national pastime, do you have an opinion?
1: I don't have a problem with the rule. I think part of the challenge of positioning your fielders is is positioning your fielders. (laughs) It's making sure that they know where to stand. And so, Lots of teams now have cards in the back of their outfielders' pockets that people on Twitter mistake for phones and tweet videos of, and people have to correct them. But Howie Kendrick, for instance, was seen with a, a card, pulling out a card to tell him where to stand. And and uh, last year, Kevin Kiermaier was seen with one of these things in center for the Rays. So this is just a, a reminder. And those cards, I think, just say, you know, play to pull, play play whatever, just kind of a general positioning instruction. They don't tell you exactly, you know, pace off this many strides from home plate and stand exactly in this precise point. And so that's part of the challenge. And that's something that teams have been dealing with forever and having coaches come out on the top step and wave their fielders one way or another. And so that's part of the difficulty. I think you should, in addition to determining where you should stand, what the optimal point is based on where the hitter tends to hit the ball or where people tend to hit the ball against that pitcher, then part of the challenge should also be actually implementing that recommendation.
0: But why? like what is what is the uh, like what is the scurrilous force that is being introduced by measurement here? like why what what possible opposition could you have to being to a club that is trying to precisely measure, where their outfielders are going to stand, using a uh, non-intrusive, non-invasive tool to measure what they stand. I mean, it, why, it, like, why not outlaw the cards? Why not outlaw bench coaches? Why, why allow them to do their job well at all? If you're going to outlaw this very minor assistant,
1: well, it wouldn't be unfair if it were permitted for every team. So it, I, you know, it, it wouldn't be. I just don't think there's any problem with it the way it is. I don't think it needs to be easy. I don't think MLB needs to go to any lengths to make this easier for teams. It's, it's just part of your strategy and part of how well you can implement that strategy. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that it changes the game really in any way. If you were to allow teams to precisely position their fielders, but it's just a, another way for talent to, Show through or for skill to Make a difference between teams Which is a good thing I think
0: So the entire purpose Of having a rule against it is to create An arbitrary obstacle To them doing what they're trying to do
1: I mean there are probably other Points to that rule this rule Was probably to to avoid Just having dangerous Obstacles on the field that kind of Thing I'm sure it wasn't put in the rule Books with defensive positioning markers In mind so yeah, it's a just little, something that happens to cover right. this new innovation, and so I, I don't. It doesn't matter that much, really. It wouldn't affect my enjoyment of the game if you could put a little golf tee in the ground or something to tell a fielder where to stand. But I also don't feel any desire to just make that easier for teams. It's fine the way it is. I think. I mean, my position is more or less Sandy Alderson's, or at least Sandy Alderson's stated public position, which is, I'm quoting, defensive positioning is a big part of the game these days, but nobody said that baseball needs to make it easier to make sure that kind of positioning is as precise as possible. So from my standpoint, everybody has the same opportunity to position their players, but, you know, marking the field seemed to go beyond the rule book. I basically agree. You know, the field looks a certain way, and it's the same for everyone, and you have to play within those constraints.
0: I am still not getting your point. I I still don't understand what, and maybe I do understand it, but you haven't said it. Your position is that an arbitrary obstacle to a team doing this makes it more interesting, or that you want it to be more challenging. You just you want the game to be harder. Is yeah. that it? Yeah, I think so. So I, so, I just, yeah, so yeah. So if look, I'm going to go into hypotheticals and all that, but. Like if, for instance, uh, there was a rule that um that I don't know I don't know that you're you you know you, instead of pine tar you had to uh slather your baseball bat uh in vegetable oil that would also make baseball harder. Would that make baseball more interesting to you?
1: <laughs>
0: no, I I think you're saying it would, Ben. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said that you won't know. Uh, yeah, I I'm just I feel like um this is not what is going to make or break my relationship to the game. But it just feels like usually there, there should be a, a reason for a rule. There should, you know, you don't, you shouldn't make the rule book any more complicated than it needs to be. And you shouldn't generally, it seems to me, have laws unless there's a purpose for the law. And sometimes as we've talked about here, you, there's this uh, push-pull where we want two things from our sport. One is that um, we want to see the Best baseball players play the best baseball they can. And, you know, that's why we turn it on, where it is in pursuit of the highest achievement in sport. For instance, we don't have our 100-meter dash runners have to wear snowshoes just to see what would happen. We want to see them run fast. The point is to see them run fast. Mm-hmm. And so we say, run as fast as you can. Don't put this in your body, but otherwise, run as darn fast as you can. And so it's sort of the same with baseball. We we want to be inspired by the level of, of play. The converse of that is that we also put all sorts of restrictions in place uh, because the restrictions make it more interesting and the restrictions give the game uh, a set of rules that adds sort of layers of strategy to it, that adds levels of difficulty to it, that keep it from being uh, too easily broken uh, in one direction or another. Uh, and so there's all sorts of rules in baseball, like you know, the Bach, for instance, maybe is one, or like you can't have a 33 inch glove uh, is one, or like you can't use aluminum. There's all sorts of rules in baseball that are put in place for not necessary for for no, like no there's no social good to outlawing larger gloves. We've decided it makes the game more interesting. And so uh, for instance, a- at the moment, you are not allowed to have a connected, laptop in the uh, in the dugout mm-hmm. um, and there's no social good to that prohibition either. it just is deemed to make baseball uh, more interesting to have restrictions on what the manager is able to have access to um, and maybe someday maybe even some minute not long from now we'll debate that policy but there are rules in place like that and so if your if your point is that in fact you think that that baseball is, is becomes too fine and too precise, uh, if teams are allowed to use this technology then i want to hear you say it but <laughs> i can't i it I, it seems like it, it it seems like you you gain nothing from outlawing it you gain very little you gain nothing from allowing it either except you're allowing the players to play the best that they can
1: and it seems like a sort of very um yeah, but you're not small you're, place to you're allowing the the front office analysts to play as well as they can. Sort of this is taking this is taking something away from the players. It's taking away a challenge from the players. They don't have to position themselves. They don't have to know where to stand. They just have to go to the marker that someone else set and stand there. Yeah. So to me, it takes away very slightly. I mean, a you know you could make a case that just having your fielders perfectly positioned is bad for Baseball as a spectator sport because it means fewer hits and maybe it means fewer diving catches and less offense and all of that, that baseball is already kind of trying to counteract. But to me, it, it sort of is, it is moving the measurement of whether you succeed away from the players and away from the field in a small way in that it is all dictated before the game and it takes agency or it takes challenge away from. The players who just have to stand on this predetermined point.
0: <laughs> if it yeah, but they they are already doing this. They're already having these meetings before the game. The bench coach or whoever is defensive positioning in charge of defensive positioning is already telling them where to stand. It is not a skill that we expect uh players to be utilizing on their own in this day and age anyway. And so we're really just we're we're it's not like you're outlawing communication from the dugout to the players or anything like that. You You're not necessarily getting that thing that you're pining for.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think that um, instead of uh, cards with defensive positioning in their pocket, the the team should arrange for the players to have cards in their pockets uh, from each of their moms saying, Have a nice day, I love you. (laughs) Uh All right. A strange thing for us to disagree on.
1: Uh yeah, I guess it is. It's,
0: it's it's like one of our this is one of our maybe top 2 or 3 wedge issues, I think. <laughs> on this podcast, I wasn't expecting that.
1: Yeah, I don't uh I don't feel very strongly about it and I wouldn't suggest necessarily putting the rule in place if it weren't already in place. So maybe that means that I should be okay with it being removed, but I don't feel any injustice and I kind of like that there can be some gamesmanship here that if one team doesn't want to allow another team to do it then it doesn't have to. Yeah. And it can it can prevent that team from doing it and prevent it from getting that advantage and at least in its home park and then maybe have to suffer the consequences when it visits that team's home park and they Retaliate by not allowing them to do it I mean the Dodgers let's say they're One of the most aggressive at this Kind of positioning let's say they're One of the best at it then if you Think that and if you think that their giant R&D department and all the resources They put into this make them the best At it then you should deny them The ability to do this If you think that it's an advantage So I kind of like that you can do that There is a grounds for denying it
0: So if uh, Rob Manfred Came out today and said uh, that he wanted to, uh, he wanted to unplug StatCast and that StatCast would no longer be allowed and nothing resembling StatCast would be allowed. Mm-hmm. Would, would that also, to you, increase the amount of, it, it sounds like you want to see more players and less front office on the field, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, um, if, 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 if Mr. Manfred said, uh, that, eh, we've gone too far, it's changed the, uh, the balance of uh, influence on the game, and we don't actually think that all this extra information uh, is doing anything to preserve the spirit of you know nine guys on a field, and we're going to unplug it. What would be your reaction emotionally?
1: I would be upset because I like having access to that information. I think that there is enough value for spectators and people who follow the game and people who try to market the game that it's worth it, unless you show me some strong evidence that it's making the game less entertaining.
0: It seems almost—it seems really hard for me to to agree with any position. I don't know if this is the Dodgers' position. They don't—they seem to be sort of rolling with it, but it seems hard for me to um, to be sympathetic to any to the position that this is really necessary. Like I know that it maybe it's better. It's nice. They they like it. Whatever. But is it that hard to position your fielders to just look? To, to go, eh, if you're a step off, that's okay. Right. Uh, you basically know where to go. It, it doesn't feel that necessary. Like, I'm the one who's arguing that there's no reason to have a law against it or a rule against it. But also, it doesn't really feel that necessary. And uh, if anything, it seems like it maybe it increases the home field advantage. And I do like home field advantage. I think that yeah. anything you can do to strengthen a home field advantage in, in, in most sports is a good thing. I think there are some sports Where maybe the home field advantage has gone too far But for baseball, I would like a larger Home field advantage.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: think 53.7% is enough Right. But do you uh, If you had to guess, would you guess that This came up because of Bad feelings between the Mets and the Dodgers and, and and let me just to Add to that, does it change Your reaction to it at all If it is really Explicitly, not just even Gamesmanship, but you know grudge spite like it's the spite right it's the returning it for spite right if if that were the case would that change things to you that it's it's less about strategy it's less about you know fairness and it's more just about you know not liking the cuz did this come I, what did this come before i guess this came before Syndergaard yeah this hit, was before friday's game so so this would have been potentially them get the front office's version of a beanball right is Right. Uh, hurting the other team's analytics department because Ruben Tejada broke his
1: leg. Yeah, right. Well, I think I I like I I have no problem with this being a consensual thing that teams can agree to, even if it violates a rule technically. Like if it's like uh like you know doctoring your hand with some foreign substance and everyone does it, and you can get away with it as long as you are not doing it very obviously, in which case someone will call you on it. So if it's not like you are putting a big bullseye on the field and saying, stand here, and everyone can see, then someone can call you on it. But as long as it's low profile and you let your opponent do it, then I'm okay with everyone doing it. So if you are only doing it out of some personal animus and not a competitive spirit, then maybe I would disapprove a little more. But it's like we talk about in our book, how there's always been this fine line between cheating and exploiting an edge of some sort in baseball history. And a lot of the most brilliant baseball minds did things that weren't ethically quite correct, or we wouldn't approve of them in retrospect. And so This is another advantage that teams can potentially get that might be against the letter of the law, but is in line with the spirit of it, which is beating your opponent and being a better baseball team. So yeah, if it were just bitterness between people who didn't like each other or had a nasty slide or something, I would approve of that less than if it were a calculated decision that were made to deprive the Dodgers of something that they are better at than... Than the Mets are, let's say, or than than most teams are.
0: There is no rule against the center fielder before every batter walking into second base and then pacing out to wherever his card tells him to pace to. So every he could reset himself every play by taking you know thirty four paces out and then three paces to his left. So that is not against the rules. Uh, of course, we don't see that, but the T that gives him uh, you know a shortcut to the exact same outcome is against the rules. I know I'm I know that I keep going back to this very <laughs> small picayune thing that you are saying, but what is the point? What 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 is the I'm trying to figure out what the philosophical point that we're trying to get at is because you don't r- really have an issue with the outcome and there is no consequence to the process.
1: I like the idea that during the game the players are on their own, in a sense, or the, the coaches are on their own, yeah, and they are left to fend for themselves, and you can do all of this preparation before the game, and then you can implement it as best you can during the game, but you can't have your positions marked off to yeah. the precise point. You have to implement it the best you can, and if you were off by a little bit, then... You cost yourself, and you suffer the consequences.
0: Would you like baseball slightly more if pitching coaches and managers were not allowed to make visits to the mound and except to, to remove a pitcher? Yeah, I think I would. I think I would, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think not, you... not only just the fact that it's boring to watch and yeah. it takes up time, but also, yes, you you should be able to plan out what you're going to do in the upcoming inning in the 10 or 15 or 20 minutes that you're in the dugout things don't change so much once you leave the dugout that you need to reevaluate and have another conference. So yes, I would approve of that for many reasons.
0: All right. I think I agree with you on that. And I think that I probably, I think you've convinced me that, that your vision of baseball where the players are essentially left are, are alone. They don't have these, the, the uh from the front office or even the dugout is nice. It's just that as it is, uh, there's nothing in place to keep them from getting that assistance. you know they're responding to directions. you know the manager can call pitches from the dugout if he wants to. the bench coach can direct defenders as he wants to. and so it feel it is so you're not since you're since you don't have that world, that vision of baseball, it feels weird to just sort of pick off this one little detail. but i uh, I think it's fine that uh, if there was some way to make it more consistent, I think that you might be right that might be a more fun way to think about or watch baseball. So um, as to the iPad question, Uh as is now, as I understand it, you are allowed to have an iPad that has no connectivity. And so you can have one iPad's worth of data. Is that right?
1: Yes. Which could be, you know, everything. It could be. Yeah,
0: just about. I mean, it's a lot (laughs) more probably data than than Billy Bean had um, in 2003. Uh, So given that you do, what do you think of, of that? And what would you think about having even connectivity? Huh cuz it, again it goes back to the question of do you want them to be able to do their job as well as possible is there any reason to set up an a restriction on them playing baseball to win as good as they possibly can when nobody is harmed or mm-hmm. are you just simply making it too easy have you invented a bat that only hits home runs
1: no i don't think you've done that and i think we've we've probably talked about this in the past and i've been in favor of the idea of having, say, statistically-oriented coaches in the dugout, like we were with the stoppers this past season, it seems like things are definitely heading in that direction, whether you have a uniformed person in there or not, or whether eventually you have someone on a headset who's talking to the manager, as has been done in basketball and in football. You have some kind of connection to someone who can give you the statistical perspective your stat coordinator who can work with your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator, that kind of thing. So I think things are probably heading in that direction. And I don't really know what the difference is between having a iPad preloaded with all this information that you might need and an iPad that is actually networked other than the ability to communicate and right. text or instant message or something with someone in the front office, which, uh, I mean... I, again I kind of like the idea that you do your pregame preparation and you arm your players and your staff with all the information that they need and you practice and you go through game plans and you lay out what you would do but in the heat of the moment you are on your own. I think I like that from a competitive perspective. So I have no problem with information being in the dugout, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's In a notebook or in a binder or on an iPad, it's essentially the the same idea. So I have no problem with that. But I still kind of like the idea that you have to go into this game with your preparation and then you have to do the best you can with how you've prepared and practiced for it. And you can't just phone a friend during the game. For assistance.
0: When I was a high school student, we had a, a biology teacher who would allow you to bring one three by five card into the test with yeah. with notes. Yeah. And so the point of it was to allow you to have some, you know, a little bit of, uh, of help, whatever you thought was most necessary to help you solve some of these problems. Uh, but of course, it's not just about preparing the right info. Well, it's not just about having the three by five card. It's about knowing what to prepare for, which maybe the science teacher thought that was the point. But it was also about who could write the smallest and who could sort of best Tetris his words onto this yeah. three by five card. And that is neither, that is not the point of what the teacher was trying to go for. Like, he wasn't trying to test us on our ability to write small. Yeah. Uh, he was trying to test us on our ability to solve biology question but it introduced this other sort of part of the game which was who could do the best job writing small who could figure out the best pen who could figure <laughs> out the best style of writing yeah. uh, who had the best eyes and i uh, even though that had nothing to do with biology and it had nothing to do with the course or the content that we were being tested on it's still like, first of all, I liked it. I liked that there was that strategic element to it. And it made me probably enjoy that test more than most other tests. Uh, but it also probably taught us uh, more about uh, more about solving problems uh, in life than we ever did, than I ever learned in bio. Like I actually don't remember anything about bio <laughs> right now. And I've done okay with that. I don't know if I remember anything from the 3 by 5 card, but it was a challenge to be solved. Uh, and uh, so I'm sort of conflicted on whether I think that all of these things simply add an extra element of strategy and gameplay uh, and problem solving and uh, rules negotiation and all these things that make sports more interesting to talk about, or if they take away from the sort of base uh, point of the game, which is the one thing that has been has proven rugged and durable for 150 years. So. I'm not sure, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, we're going to obviously have to, to figure this out as we go, because not only is there more technology coming, but you can't even envision the technology that's coming. That's sort of the yeah. nature of technology. And so, yeah. uh, having these discussions now, uh, and having them serve as precedent for whatever happens in 10 years from now. Um, you know, anybody who knows about, like, for instance, internet, uh, libel law, uh, knows that uh, it's really hard to write rules for technology that doesn't exist and then have them hold up 20 years later.
1: Yeah, I reserve the right to flip flop on everything I've said because I, uh, in general, I I approve of intelligence making a difference. I approve of teams finding these edges and being able to exploit them and. And so I, I'm in favor of, say, a team building up its front office and trying to discover things about baseball that another team doesn't know and then applying those things in game. So it seems sort of arbitrary to pick a point at which you can use those things and which you can't or, or exactly how you can use those things. And maybe you should just open it up and say, do whatever you want and everyone can do whatever they want and we'll see who wins. So I'm sympathetic to that perspective, too. All right. Yeah. All right. So that is it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectively wild. Today's five Patreon supporters are John Presser, Shane Gavegan, Bill Batterman, Tyler Bradley, and Jason Lee. Thank you. You can also buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. We are very grateful to those of you who have finished it and complimented us and left Amazon and Goodreads reviews. We hope that those of you who haven't finished yet will do so once you have reached the end. We also hope that you will go to the book's website at theonlyruleisithastowork.com. Check out the photos and videos and stats as well as the excerpts and reviews and interviews, if you want to find out more about the book before you buy it. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash effectively wild and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. We'll be doing a listener email show next, so please send us questions at podcastatbaseballperspectives.com or by messaging us through Patreon. We will be back tomorrow.